For this episode of Coffee with Closers, I'm sitting down with Tyler Lassard, the best-selling author of the Visual Sale and VP of Marketing at Vidyard. He's a frequent author and speaker on the art of creating remarkable experiences and how to use video for lead generation and deal acceleration. Stay tuned for my conversation with Tyler where he shares latest trends, hacks, and best practices for putting video to work in your business. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Coffee with Closers, where business leaders share insights on how to build businesses from the ground up and best practices for innovating in their industry. Hey, Tyler, I'm super excited to have you join me for this episode of Coffee with Closers. I am absolutely stoked to be here um, because I want to help people close more business. So it's a perfect opportunity for that. Well, uh, it's good to uh, good to be on the show. Most certainly, obviously, you you run a uh, you're the you run the marketing for Vidyard, who's a company that helps salespeople across the world uh, sell more and sell better. Yeah, as a uh, as VP marketing here, I've spent a lot of time not only thinking about how our own marketing and sales teams work, but uh, you know we provide video technology for sales teams. So I spend a lot of time out in the ecosystem working with different sellers, working with different businesses to learn what they're doing, not just with video, but overall, like what's working in today's sales programs, what's not. And uh, you know we talk a lot with people about this. How do we rehumanize sales in this world? How do we build relationships at a distance uh, when you know we can't be there in person? And how is that all evolving? So it's really interesting, particularly right now, as things are really changing, like significantly changing in this world of, uh, of business. Yeah, most certainly, and I do want to get into that. Before I do, I usually uh, I usually study my guest a little bit. So yeah. I dug around a little bit and wanted to know who's this guy that I'm about to interview, right? <laughs> I found out that you spent almost a decade at BlackBerry. I sure did. I sure <laughs> did. For those listening who are under the age of 30, BlackBerry was the original smartphone. Correct. <laughs> So that's interesting. So, I mean, that must have been, uh, I mean, you left way before BlackBerry was disappeared, right? So we can't blame you for bad marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope not. But it was, uh, it was incredible. I spent yeah, a decade there from 2001 till 2011. And um, it was, yeah, eight really great years and, and two yeah, tough years uh, after. Uh, it, it, it's funny, once you start competing with Apple and Google, the world gets a lot harder. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was a really amazing experience to to be a part of that and to see a whole industry, frankly, uh, grow up and become what it was. And of course, a lot of lessons learned with respect to what worked and frankly, what didn't. Uh, yeah. Because as we all, all know, we're all carrying iPhones and Android devices now. But uh, yeah, it was a really wild experience. Yeah, and I always see these big brands who actually had the big market share. How come they didn't invent the first you know, touchscreen, right? <laughs> Like you always think about it. I mean, obviously, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Um, obviously, you just recently you added one more title to your name. You are an author. You just recently yeah. published a book, The Visual Sale. Um, so, what was the the biggest surprise from researching for this book and when you started to write? Ah, oh, the great question. So, uh, yeah, it was just recently, a couple months ago. Now, I launched my first book, co-authored with uh, an amazing man named Marcus Sheridan. Um, and the book goes, it's called The Visual Sale. And in the book, we explore all these different ways in which modern sales and marketing teams are using video to their advantage to build better relationships, to create communities, to um, you know increase their their performance and their programs. 
lots of micro stories where we went out and, and certainly discussed with different teams what's working and what's not for them. And um, what was really interesting for me, the one thing that I underestimated that I learned during the process was how important the cultural aspects of using video in a business were. And, and by that, I don't mean necessarily, um, you know, sort of world geographical culture. I mean, company culture and this simple notion of, you know, marketing teams and sales teams that are embracing this idea of like, yeah, just video is a part of how we communicate our messages and how much of a difference that makes compared to, you know, frankly, most organizations where video is like that thing that the PR team does, or, you know, we make a explainer video once a year and the rest of us just use Zoom and it's not necessarily a part of the culture of how they they create content, how they communicate. And it was really interesting to find that and the differences in success and failure for those that it's just become a part of their culture versus those that still have this, I'd say kind of maybe old school idea of what video can really be in today's business. Yeah, and it's no longer like a luxury, right? Because in the past, oh, we're gonna have a $20,000 budget for the website relaunch. We're gonna make three video. One is our CEO talking, another one is about our company culture. Another one is about our company overview or something. That was kind of the thing when it comes to video, but today that's not the case. No, and what's really interesting, uh, and I'm sure we'll peel this back as we talk through some of the use cases in sales as well as marketing, is that the ability to create the content has become much easier and democratized, frankly. Um, I can produce a pretty damn good video here on my own on a $0 budget um, and, and working with a team. But on the flip side, perhaps even more important, is that audience expectations have also changed. And there's actually a greater expectation and a greater appetite for more authentic style content and less highly produced um, you know, company overview videos and about us videos and, and even like customer stories and even how, when we reach out to prospects, I think people are actually really enamored with this idea of really simple, just authentic record, share content. And that's opening up all these new use cases. And it's, it's quite exciting and, um, you know, real opportunity for some of us to get a little bit more creative. And honestly, I think many of us are going to start to become quote unquote video creators uh, of our own as we start to unlock some of these tools. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest practical advice because I think all of us have this, you know, this, I guess, this misconception that if it's not well produced, nobody's going to watch it. Uh, so I guess what is one practical advice from the book that you would give someone who's just getting started in the B2B space uh, with a video marketing? Well, I think the biggest thing is understanding where and how you can use video in the first place. And, mm -hmm. you know, to your previous point, getting rid of those preconceived notions of what video is for your business. And often the best place to start or to do more isn't the, the big, you know, brand video for your homepage, right? It's not the huge product announcement video. It's not the big social campaign. It's like genuine, authentic educational content that's just answering the biggest questions your prospects or customers have, right? That's supporting key parts of the buying journey as a marketer, as a seller, um, but things that are genuinely being helpful as opposed to things that are more promotional. And that's often the place that people see the most success and frankly, it's the content that's the easiest to create because it's likely things you're already talking about in written format and others and just going, yeah, you know what? I can bring new life into that message. I can deliver it in a fresh new way with video and I can put my people out there and earn that trust. And I think that's a really important thing right now and, and, a, and a really big takeaway for people. 
Yeah, and I think people do, especially with uh, seeing people's face, right, on videos, especially if it's founders or maybe even senior leadership in the organization talking about their company culture, the you know, what their product is about, their promise to the customers. And when you see them, you actually start to trust them more than just reading a bunch of paragraphs in someone's website. Yeah, no, 100%. You know, trust is a big part of it. We talk about that a lot in the visual sale. It's, um, and, and my, again, my co-author, Marcus Sheridan, I'll, uh, one of the things that he says, you know, just which is so elegant and I think so perfect is that, you know, as as businesses, everybody will say, well, I'm in I'm in this business or I'm in this or I'm in that. And but fundamentally, we're we're all in the business of trust. Like if you think about it, at the end of the day, we are all in the business of trust and we have to earn that trust of our customers. We have to maintain that trust and they're only going to buy from us if they genuinely trust us. Now, yeah, there's all these other things we do, but it cuts across every, everyone. And a lot of marketing and sales isn't built on that mentality, right? It's built on generating leads, on converting people as fast as we can. It's on parlor tricks and novelty. And, uh, you know, but if we really step back and we go, if we're in the business of trust, if we're in the business of genuinely helping people, how can we do that in today's world? And it starts to shift your mindset and say, wow, you know, if I'm genuine about that, if I said, my job here is to help those people and it's to be a trusted source for them, then it changes the content you create. It changes the way you behave as a salesperson. Um, it changes the way you deliver your messages. And uh, I think that's a really powerful idea. Um, and there's another takeaway for everybody is like, you are in the business of trust and it's probably one of your most important elements that you have. And if you lose it, ooh, that's not that's that's going to get you out of the closer club right away. Yeah, and I guess people do business with people they do you know they like and trust. It's just it's just it's common sense. And I think oftentimes if you just take away that pressure of have you know wanting to sell and just be a genuine advisor to that client and provide recommendations, they naturally would buy from you. Or even sometimes say you know what we're not a good solution for you, but I think yeah. this solution might be better. And um, Nine out of 10 times they would come back when they had a bad experience, they will come back to you because they know that you provided the best recommendation. Yeah, it, and it's hard to do. Like, I get it. Like you listen and you're like, yep. But it, it is, I get it. It's hard to do to say, because I got a quota to hit. You know, I'm being, you know, tracked on my activities. I've got benchmarks I need to hit and, and my job is to sell. And so I know it's very hard to get, you know, all in on that mindset. But I can, I can tell you, as somebody who sits on the other side of the fence, right? I get sold to all the time. I get prospected, I get into deal cycles. And I encourage you, if you're in sales or no matter where you are in your business, the most important thing when you think about how do I be helpful, how do I earn trust, how do I do these things, is to genuinely put yourself in the shoes of those buyers and like be really explicit about that and say, like, how would I want to interact with this? How would I feel? And, you know, it's something that it's like, it's so obvious to me when I'm being, when, when I'm interacting with vendors is I have a very conscious recognition in my mind, am I being sold to, or am I being helped? Mm -hmm. Right. And like, it, like and all of your buyers go through the same thing. And I can, like, it's so clear to me when I look back on the worst marketing and sales experiences I've had, I always look at those and I'm like, yep, I like, it just felt like you were trying to sell me something. It didn't feel like you were genuinely trying to help me solve my problem. And a lot of that came from, they just kept telling me 
I can I can do this for you. I can do this for you. They didn't even ask me, you know, what my problems were or you know what I thought about this. It was like, ah, you need this. I'm gonna here's my ROI. I'm like, you don't even know what my problem is. Don't tell me what your ROI is. Um, so there's like fundamental things like that of just like be genuine about that and say put yourself in that buyer's shoes and do will they feel like you're honestly trying to be helpful? And if not, yeah, it's gonna be a challenge. You also run a show called Creating Connections, right? Which I think uh, is part of the Vidyard brand. And you interview a lot of CMOs and other senior leaders in marketing roles and sales roles. Uh, and you're talking about you know, building human connections. So what were some of the lessons you learned in the process of uh, you know, having interviewed so many business leaders? Oh, that's been so interesting. And, and I talked to business leaders. I talked to you know, folks who are thought leaders in, in different spaces, authors who have just really interesting ideas that they've been, been, been finding in, in different consultants. And, um, and it, it does, it cuts across marketing and sales. And in, in that exploration of like, how do modern businesses in a digital first world, you know, still uh, create those human connections? How do they still create those emotional responses? How do they still um, create those bonds and, and that trust? And it was fascinating to get into all these different areas that people are thinking about today, not just in, you know, like things like, well, the obvious things, yeah, use more video to put your people out there and be transparent. But, you know, I, I remember a fascinating conversation with Jay Bear, um, who runs uh, uh, Convincing Convert. Yeah, yeah, and he's been a you know multi-time author on lots of interesting topics, and we had a fascinating conversation about the power of word of mouth within your community. And you know, you step back and you think, you know, yeah, as people, back to being in the trust game, who do your buyers trust the most? Do they trust you? <laughs> do they trust a thought leader in their market, or do they trust a peer of theirs or a friend of theirs who are making recommendations? And um, you know, I. I have an Instapot here in my kitchen. No, this isn't a weird tangent. The reason I have an Instapot is because a friend of mine told me, oh, I got this Instapot and I did this and it's awesome. I'm like, I totally need that, right? Um, it's not because somebody who works for Instapot told me that I should buy an Instapot. Um, it's real, right? Referrals, word of mouth is so powerful. And yet as marketers and sellers, we don't typically think about harnessing that. So yeah, we ask for referrals from our customers, but it, it all came back to this really interesting idea of are you creating intentional experiences for your buyers that will create that kind of advocacy for you, that will create raving fans who want to talk about you. Um, and he talks about trigger points or trigger moments that are intentionally there to create something worth talking about. And again, it's a really interesting idea and that's just one of many, but there's all these fascinating ways that we got to think about in this new digital first community, like how can I create experiences that truly make people want to do business with me? And, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways to do it. Yeah. And I think the digital reputation too, when you talk about what you just mentioned, uh, people trust the referrals or uh, recommendations from your, from their colleagues. That's where I think power of G2 crowd and, you know, Captera and all those different platforms are such an amazing part in marketing today. And a lot of companies are overlooking it. I know it's a somewhat pay to play yeah. in most cases, but still, people are looking at those platforms and seeing well, what is the real world experience of customers who are using this service or solution or product and, and whether or not would I find that same experience for myself if I were to use it. No, oh, absolutely. You know, as marketing teams that 
um, you know, having that, you know, peer validation in the market is, uh, is, is super important. But the thing is, you know, you, it's, it's hard to, to get those great reviews and those authentic reviews without having people that, you know, genuinely are in your corner and want to be advocates for you. And that's where, again, the experiences we create are so much a part of that. But again, it's not just a, like, it's not just a marketing conversation because like as, as salespeople, like I've been recommended to companies because of specific sales reps, right? Where I'm like, oh, you know, I'm in the market for this. Anybody have any thoughts? And, you know, I've had people come back to me and go, oh, you know what? We use this here. I love it. And by the way, this is a, you know, here's a rep to talk to. They're outstanding. Right. And I'm mm -hmm. like, great. And, you know, in some cases I'm like doing a very superficial review of other things, but I'm basically already in. I'm like, okay, I like, I'm in, this is who I'm going to work with. Like, I'm, it's, it seems like it's going to happen. And a lot of those things, again, they don't happen if you haven't earned that trust. And it even happens on social communities, right? Where, um, and, and we come back to things we talk about in creating connections. We talked about this as well of even the importance of your social presence, your social profile, um, you know, treating online communities, um, not just as somewhere to take, but somewhere to give, to be a part of something. And that stuff goes a long way. Because when I get, you know, I'll come, I'll bring it back to sellers. I get an email from somebody. I get a phone call. I get another email, right? Like I see them. I'm not responding to them. And then if I see something that I'm like, oh, okay, this might be interesting. What do I do as a potential buyer? I don't actually respond to them yet. The first thing I do and the first thing most people do is I go to your LinkedIn profile to learn a little bit more about you. And, you know, people often pause like, oh, yeah, you're right. And so I'll go to your LinkedIn profile. I'll like you know, go on LinkedIn, I'll type in your name, your profile will come up and I'll look at a little bit about you. I'll see what you're, what's going on there. And then I'll go to your company website, of course, but I'm going to do all that behind the scenes. I may even check G2 crowd before I even do that first response to know, are you even in the game? Right. But even those little things, like as a seller, like being an active part of the community online actually is important to me because it shows that you're invested, you're a thought leader, you're not a fly by night salesperson. And so even things like that of like, are you being conscious of your social profile? Are you posting videos about things? Are you adding to the community? All those little things add up, right? It's super interesting right now. It's a whole new playground. Yeah, and also what you just described is in the change of the buying behavior too, because you as a buyer is completely, you were introduced to the brand through a cold outreach email, but then all of a sudden now you, you're back on their web pro, website as well as on their social profile. You may never even reply back to that guy, but you may go back and submit a form and then he never gets credit for it, which I think is an interesting uh, twist to the entire buyer journey that happens <laughs> these days. It's okay if your systems are set up right. When I do come in as a lead, it'll get routed to that correct rep. But it, it does really, you know, emphasize back to that point of like, how do people typically want to research, learn, and buy these days? Mm -hmm. And the reality is, for the majority of people, they prefer to do as much self-serve themselves as they can. And again, as salespeople in particular, and, and this has an impact on both on sales and marketing. And you say in that world where people not only prefer to be able to learn on their own time, but they expect to be able to do that. And, you know, it is such ramifications. You say as marketers, when somebody comes to your website and if they can't do something as simple as watch a demo of your product, like, I, I don't know, it's bounce time. Like mm -hmm. if if I can only get a surface level view of what you do and then I have to book a meeting with a rep just to see your product in action, like that's not the experience I'm expecting today. As a mm -hmm. modern person, like just show me, 
just show me is what I think all the time when I'm on somebody's website and they don't have that. I'm like, you can tell me all about it, but I got three minutes right now. Just show me the damn thing, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, little things like that that we don't think about. And as a seller, you know, it's the same sort of idea of, of you go, well, people don't necessarily want to get on a call with you and get on another call with you and get on another call with you. I know that that's how you want to sell. I get it, right? You want to control the process, but you don't have control over the process anymore. Those days are gone. So you think, how do I adapt to that? Um, I've got a really fun example that happened to me. Um, it was almost a year ago. I had to buy a new vehicle. My lease on my car was up and uh, it was time to get something new. And this was in uh, April last year, which was right after we went into lockdown with the pandemic. And but it's like it's an interesting time to buy a car, right? Because that's some period of that I couldn't even go in and test drive. Like it was just like totally shut down. But my lease was up. I'm like, what am I going to do? And so I reached out to three different dealerships after doing a lot of self-research on what I'm interested in. I narrowed it down to three vehicles and I reached out to three dealerships. And um, you can probably guess the response I got from two of those dealerships. It was the usual form message, da-da-da-da-da, unprecedented times, da-da-da-da, we'll follow up with you soon. The third dealership, you want to know what I got back? Mm -hmm. It was a good thing. It was a good thing. Don't worry. I got a video from the sales rep there who had been assigned to me. And this was the very first touch back was I got an email with a video and it was that rep. He was actually, he was at the dealership and um, he said, Hey Tyler, I um, actually, we have a vehicle very similar to what you submitted on our lot here. And I wanted to quickly walk you through it so you can get a sense for what it looks like. Here's a quick video, check it out. And I hit play. And it was about a five minute long video because he was he actually walked me through. He introduced himself. He says, hey, it's Will here at the dealership. Um, you know, really great to meet you. Um, I wanted to show you. We got one right over here. I'm going to walk you over. And he literally walked me through the vehicle, showed me his favorite things about it, just as if I had gone there in person. And I was like, after that happened, I'm like, this is great. This is actually a way better way to buy a car. Um, I don't want to go into the dealership and be sold to. And it goes back to that, like what we were just talking about. It was like, after watching that, I felt like Will actually cared about helping me learn about this vehicle and make a decision, right? He put his time and energy into it. And uh, the cool thing, the coolest thing about it all is he got in front of my whole buying committee, which was my kids and my wife, right? Like I brought them in. I'm like, hey guys, check this out. And they watched the video too. And of course, by the end of it, the kids are like, can we get it? Can we get it, right? <laughs> Um, and it's a personal example, but like that comes back through to your business. Like, are you adapting to educate people the way they want to learn? Because that's how I want to buy now. Yeah. And I think also he invested time helping you first before he expected anything from you, uh, which also goes a long way. A lot of times I think we're asking for homework from our prospect first and make them do a couple, you know, jump a couple of hoops before we want to actually see if they're qualified to, uh, to do business with. But I want to go back to what the point you said earlier, you know, the business people are changing the way they want to buy, right? They are, they don't want to sign up for a demo and waste their time seeing if the product is a good fit for them. But it also affects everything else on the marketing side because now we can, as a marketing team, go to the CEO and say, hey, look at all the demos that we got booked and look at all the, you know, downloads that we've yeah. gotten, right? So it changes the entire equation for reporting success. So how can marketers change their perspective from, uh, being able to say, well, you know what, I do want to provide more value up front before I expect them to provide anything in exchange uh, for what we want to offer them. Oh, that is such a wonderful question. Uh, and you're 100% right, because there's this big risk factor for people. And I just said, you know, why don't you have a demo on your website that I can just watch? 
And the answer is usually what you just said. They're like, well, because we need to generate leads for our sales team. And that's a high value offer that people are willing to put their information in for. And our sales reps also want to customize that demo. And, but as you start to peel it back, you're like, yeah, you know what? But all of these are excuses based on how you want to sell, not on how that person wants to, to interact with you. So, but you go in that direction and you say, well, what happens? And I'm going to give you a very specific example of how somebody does this. Cause I think like this just, this is brilliant. Um, and it's a company, some of you may know Marketo, right? Mm-hmm. So Marketo is a marketing automation platform. They have email marketing, account-based marketing analytics, all that good stuff. And, um, they, uh, went to this mode about two years ago now where they started testing, changing the main calls to action on their website from book a meeting to watch a demo. And they invested behind the scenes in this really nice demo experience where you could come in and you could watch like genuine demos. It's not just like your two minute explainer, right? It's like you're actually seeing the product in action and and you can get into it. But they, um, they made the decision. They said, well, First of all, we want to be able to gate it so that we are still getting those leads, right? So sort of the balance. Say, let's offer watch a demo, but you do have to fill in a form to watch it. And then once you're in there to watch the demos, they give you a whole bunch of content. There's actually like nine different demo videos, depending on what you're most interested in. So they have their overview, and then they have a specific demo video on email marketing, a specific demo video on ABM, and you can kind of choose your own adventure. It's like a little Netflix binge experience. But what's really, really cool, this is the best part, is that when you're watching, they track behind the scenes. They're tracking exactly which of those videos you watched and how long you watched each of them. And all that data goes into their lead qualification and triggers a new lead for the sales team. So if you go to Marketo's site and you say, I wanna watch a demo, perfect, that's what I wanna do. You fill out the form, they actually have a very high completion rate on the form because people are like, great, if it, only, if it means I can watch a demo, I'll do it. But then if you watch the first video for four minutes and then you watch the email marketing video for three minutes and then you watch all eight minutes of the ABM video, that's all tracked. You now get triggered as a qualified lead and the sales rep gets an, gets an alert and they know exactly what you consumed on that page. And now they're gonna follow up with you with a very targeted message because they know you watched this demo and this demo, but you skip the other three. And so I've talked to their marketing team who has said very clearly, this is a game changer in terms of our digital marketing because our conversion rates on our website are through the roof because people want to watch a demo, right? Um, But, and then I talked to the sales team and they say, we were worried at first, but we now love this because the leads we're getting are those we know actually watch those initial demos. They've self-qualified as the people that are leaning in. And when we follow up with those people, we have a high response rate and they are, and, and then we have a higher conversion rate and we're not wasting our time with people that, you know, did these sorts of other things. So the net impact is way better, right? But it, it, they had to get into that different mindset and say, we need the ability to gate the demo and we need the ability to track engagement in those videos and get that to our sales team. But once they sorted that out, oh man, this thing hums and their whole team loves it. And it's just like this wonderful story of like a win for the buyer and the win for the brand. Yeah, and I'm also seeing the same trend with a lot of the eBooks are being removed and more and more long form content is where people are leading 
um, prospects too to go read and those are much more engaging and interactive so you have interactive quizzes you have interactive ROI calculators so it makes it much more engaging for them and then once they have read the content fully understand how this particular product can solve the business problem then they may decide okay I do want to pursue this further and want to learn a little bit more about how I can use this technology or whatever the service might be so I'm seeing that also, and I, I don't know if you've noticed, there's a lot of content, uh, basically content delivery platforms that actually monitors your um, browser behavior. Once you get certain, you know, certain path, you know, pass a certain length of a content piece, then they might present you saying, "Hey, give us your email." Yeah, um, that's another way too, because otherwise I get turned off right away. Why are you asking me for my email? Yeah. I just just landed on your site. Yeah, yeah, I think um, it's really interesting. You're 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 spot on, and there's a couple of, uh, you know trends as part of that that I think are really important and they're back to this like how people expect to be able to to research and buy today and you know one of the things you said there is absolutely true that we are moving towards ungated content um, because you know again people just have that visceral reaction to seeing that form right and I know it like I'm, I'm the same like it's funny as a marketer I gate content but if I go to anybody else's site and I see a gate I'm, I'm gone like I'm like I'll find this somewhere else right and I know my own behavior is like it's at his last resort. So I always wonder, like, how many people are we missing educating because they don't get past that form? So there's the great ungate has happened. There's a lot of more ungated content. Um, the second thing, though, and it's sort of, a, you know, based on what you were saying, is there's this diversification of content formats that people are using to deliver their information. And as we start to get over this, oh, every content piece needs to be an ebook with a form in front of it. If we get past that, we say, geesh. You're right. I could do ROI calculators. I could do short videos. I could do interactive um, assessments. I could do blog posts, right? I can do podcasts, right? Like I can do all these different forms of information. Be and, and, and what becomes really powerful about that is it, it also now gives us the opportunity to connect with people in the terms that, that they prefer. It also starts to open us up to different channels, right? Mm -hmm. um, like some of that more interactive stuff is great on my website. Some of those videos are great on my site, but they also open up new channels in YouTube and others and social. Um, there's, uh, you know, doing podcasts now, all of a sudden I can get out there in these places and there are different ways to find people and different ways to educate. And I think that's actually the hallmark of the most successful content programs now is getting behind and living that diversification of content and saying, instead of covering a hundred different topics in written form on my blog, I'm going to cover 20 topics and I'm going to do them in multiple formats and I'm going to use neat tools as part of it. And I'm going to double down on those and deliver a really quality experience to meet people where they are today. Yeah, and if you study, I mean, if you look at any of the recent studies by, you know, on content marketing or what, you know, interviews with CMOs, they're all saying, hey, in 2021 and beyond, we're going to double our investment into content. But what I also see, though, the biggest mistake that they make is they spend, you know, for every dollar, they literally spend maybe less than 10 cents promoting it, right? Uh, so <laughs> yeah. what advice do you have for marketers? Because I think it's just as much, uh, in, you know, energy and resource that goes into production of content there needs to be the same amount, if not double that, goes to promotion. And I see oftentimes, you know, videos have very poor view throughs and and very, you know, literally no no traction on content that they're producing. Well, that's a, another great question that I wish I had a good answer for, because I <laughs> honestly, I find our own team is guilty of this. And and we, we're, we're thinking a lot about that, of we're great at producing content, but you can absolutely get trapped in that, you know, produce, produce, produce mode. 
And um, I, I think you're absolutely right, is that we need to be spending just as much, if not more energy on the promotion of that content, on getting engagement in that content. And, um, you know, it's it's not just about, you know, paid promotion to get more eyeballs on it. In fact, I think that's a bit of a mistake to think that's your primary way to get more eyeballs on these things. And so I think we, you know, there's there's a couple things we need to be really disciplined about. One is there is, of course, getting more inbound traffic to that. And then a lot of that is, are you making the right content? Um, are you optimizing it for SEO and search to make sure people will organically find it? So that is one way. And having folks that are dedicated to that and looking at, you know, uh, the SEO impacts, getting backlinks to that content from other places, all those things start to play a role in that. Um, there is how do we share it through lots of different channels. But what you'll often find is that certain pieces of content may not themselves be the best uh, for different channels, uh, social in particular, right? So if you create a big sort of hero piece of content, that piece of content itself might not play well on social, but can you create little promo teasers for it that peak interest, that create curiosity and pull people back to that main asset on your site? Um, you repurpose some of your content in different ways. If you're doing a great webinar, are there ways to repurpose that with micro content that comes from it? Share those on different channels, get more engagement in the message um, and, and do that. So there's all these little things that we can do and it does take a thoughtful approach, right? And, and the right thing to do for every business is a little bit different, depends on where your audiences are, but we, we do need to be disciplined in that and, and we also need the ability to track those metrics behind the scenes as you alluded to, because if you're putting it all out there and you have no idea how many people actually engaged in that video or listened to that podcast or read that document, um, you know, then, then you're, you're kind of flying blind. So having the ability to track on the back end report on it is equally important and then but being creative in, in terms of how do we get this stuff out there in different communities. Which brings me to a question because I think we as marketers are brainwashed to believe everything we do need to have an ROI attached to it, but oftentimes <laughs> yeah. certain things do not have it, like an actual brand value yep. or the you know brand recognition in the marketplace. So right. how do you kind of you know o overcome that the this this cons overly concerned about oh, having to prove ROI and everything that I do in the marketing department, otherwise my budget is going to get cut, right? So. Like what kind of practical advice do you have for marketers who needs to kind of get away from just all, all, always focused on ROI? Yeah, it's, it is, it's a dangerous one. It's a double-edged sword getting really you know, focused on ROI reporting. But I think um, the one thing to be mindful of is your budget won't get cut if you're hitting your overall target and number, right? So if you, you, know, if you have a pipeline target, if you have a you know, revenue attribution target, if you have whatever it is, um, if you're hitting that overall, your budget's not going to get cut. Now, you still need to be able to understand within that, you know, what am I doing to get there and how can I continuously optimize? Um, and that's where, you know, not every program you're necessarily going to know if this one contributed to this much pipeline. There is absolutely still a lot of gut feel in marketing to know, hey, like this out here, we, we believe this is having a great impact and downstream, you know, we, 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 we believe that this is, is contributing. Um, things like brand activities and such. So for those though, you do still need to be able to have those leading indicator measures, right? There's, There are still always going to be ways in which you can get some sense for impact, for um, uh, you know, sort of engagement and so on. And so you do wanna, uh, the way I think about a lot of the, the metrics when it comes to brand elements, when it comes to content elements, because even again, great content assets, it's hard to know, did this one contribute over here? 
But you do want to be thinking about everything from reach, um, time or length or things like that, that helps understand resonance in that content. Because if I, I'd rather have 500 people watch this video all the way to the end, than 5,000 people each only watch the first 10 seconds. So um, you always have to be mindful of that, of, you know, what am I doing? What's my goal? And for those that I can't attach directly to it influencing pipeline is being mindful of, am I hitting those leading indicators that help me know if it's being successful at what it's designed for? Um, if all those things are lining up and I'm totally missing my pipeline number, then yeah, my budget's gonna get cut and I gotta figure out what to change. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, there's always those leading indicator metrics that you can be mindful of too. And obviously, you know, getting the leadership buy-in on different kind of campaigns that you try yep. is an important part, right? Especially when we're doing digital, there's a lot of experimental things that you might do that may yeah. fail. I know Vidyard just recently did a really nice commercial during holiday uh, with, the, with the Santa Claus and things like that, yeah. right? So I know you guys do a lot of those things. So how do you actually help, uh, you know, marketers to do a better job in getting buy-in from the leadership to do experimental things? Um, there's there's a few different things to to be mindful of. I think whenever you do any of those campaigns or programs that are going to be difficult to tie directly to ROI is that you but you still always go into them with a clear um, you know goal and you know set of target outcomes, right? So the perfect example is that holiday video that that you talked about, right? so in in December, yeah, we we created this really fun holiday video that was about Santa Claus and in this digital world, struggling to get good on video, trying to do Zoom himself. And then, you know, we had a nice call to action at the end of that though, which was because we were providing some more resources to help people be successful with video. So when we went into that, we had a very clear set of objectives for that program. And we had a number of targets for how many people we were gonna reach with it. Um, and we had targets with how many of those people uh, were going to quote unquote, convert downstream. In the case of that campaign, it was, you know, we were hoping a certain percentage of them would engage in one of those other content assets. And so, you know, we were able to track those and know, did we hit those leading indicators uh, of success for that program? But that said, in that case, absolutely six months in after that, sorry, um, we can tell you 100% how many of the people that watched that video or clicked on one of those related calls to action turned into pipeline or revenue. So we can still confidently tell you to some degree how that influenced revenue and pipeline, yeah, right? And, yeah. And oftentimes it's, it's, even if it's not that, you can also see if your branded search has gone up yep. and if you see direct traffic has gone up, those are also interesting metrics. Sometimes you can't directly relate to a video that you put out or a commercial, right? Because that may or may not have a click through uh, attached yep. to it, but then if you see the brand affinity has increased, that's another thing that most, you know, most marketers kind of undervalue sometimes, uh, yeah. the brand equity that you're building. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's interesting. There's, um, there's, there's different ways to think about brand and things like, you know, are you seeing, yeah, search, branded search term, uh, branded search activity um, increase, you know, you can do, you know, there's different ways again, sort of to test uh, brand awareness and brand affinity, those kinds of things. Um, what you can also do, and, and, and we do as well, is, Again, looking at um, you know trends in uh, you know levels of engagement and in social and followers, things like that, and you know again with a campaign like that, that video went out directly in email to our base. It also went out in social media. Um, we didn't do any paid promotion of it; it was all organic. But on social, what we would look afterwards is say, you know, do we see a bump 
Um, so first of all, I can tell you, we did see a huge spike in social engagement while that video was the hero of our social channels. Um, and we saw a ton of engagement with it there. But then we would also look at following that. Do we now see this higher plateau of followers or ongoing engagement? And you can look at that very clearly and say, yep, here's the trend before. And now after that, yeah, on average, we're seeing 2% higher overall engagement in our social content. Um, is that is that good? I mean, that's pretty damn good for that. You know, Is it directly attributable to that program? It's hard to say because there's a couple other things that happened around the same time. Um, but you know, we can, again, say with a, a reasonable degree of confidence that it helped move the benchmark for that and achieved a, a really strong result. Yeah, and oftentimes I think, you know, doing those sort of interesting videos because B2B tend to be always very serious and, you know, uptight and buttoned up. And, and I think doing those sort of fun videos are what makes a brand memorable. And people remember that more than some, you know, interesting demo video that they watched on, on your website homepage. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we're intentional in that, in what we create throughout the year. And, and we're intentional about creating, you know, a lot of great, um, helpful content and thought leadership, both for our prospects and our customers um, and our sales team, actually. So sort of all of those constituents, we're, we're focused there. But we also, um, you know, are disciplined about ensuring we're creating those memorable brand moments throughout the year, again, for our public audience, as well as for our customer base and looking for opportunities to do that, um, which, again, I think a lot of businesses don't do intentionally. Um, but the impact can be great. I, I talked earlier about, you know, the value of word of mouth, right? And I've had customers um, and non-customers and, and, uh, tell me, I've, I've been at events, like back when we could actually go to live events. And I, I remember distinctly having somebody um, come up to me and say, oh, hey, you're Tyler from Vidyard. I'm like, and they know me because I'm in a lot of our videos, right? So mm -hmm. already I'm memorable as an individual, which is great from a brand perspective. Um, but then they're like, I can't wait to get your next holiday video because uh, last year's was so great and I shared it with my whole team and whatnot. And I'm like, sorry, who are you? <laughs> like, and by the way, are you a video customer? Like, no, no, I don't even know what you guys do, but damn, I love that video. <laughs> and uh, I, this has happened to me. Like, I swear this has happened to me more than once. And you, you, you start to get a sense for like those, those the, the things that, yeah, start to create those really neat moments. Yeah, and I think that's the important part of it, right? Really making sure the build the brand recognition is there when people do see your logo and your content. Obviously, we marketers never have enough budget to market, right? We can always use more money. So, if you had a million dollars, how would you allocate that marketing dollar? Uh, how oh man, I mean, they they would all depend on where we're at right now. That's that's the really hard thing, right? Is things uh, things are always evolving, changing, and um, in our business, we've made it a practice to be um, agile, if you will, in, in how we do things. We, you know, we don't plan our, we plan our budgets out on a quarterly basis. We're never more than six months out in terms of any material planning intentionally. Um, you know, we're very, you know, we're, we're very quick in terms of monitoring, watching analytics. We have a test and invest mentality. So um, I think that's the really important thing. So my answer to that right now will probably be different from what it is when this actually goes live <laughs> in the market. Um, but but I, what, what I would say is we are in an interesting place in our business where we have a quote unquote kind of enterprise business to business part of our, our of our house. So we're selling directly to enterprise, you know, sort of large deals, very focused account based. And then we also have almost a consumer side to our business because we have freemium products. So, you know, anybody can sign up for Vidyard for free. 
They can start recording and sending videos. They can start hosting videos. And so we have a freemium model. And, um, you know, I mean, we could spend a whole episode talking about freemium versus enterprise uh, offerings, but we have a luxury of having both in our space. And so one of the things we're always thinking about is how do we best, you know, invest across those two um, and, and what's feeding the other. And so right now, we have a pretty balanced investment in enterprise marketing and account-based marketing programs that we're doing for um, our, our commercial base, but then more and more for that freemium base and doing broader you know, awareness exercises um, and activities that are driving with calls to action of just sign up now, get started now. And so it's, it's really interesting, right? At any point in your history, you got to be mindful of that, of where are we investing, but everything keeps changing. So it's, uh, it's, it's hard, but my, my takeaway from that is breed and agile marketing. I don't care how big or small you are. Um, you know, things change really quickly these days. And you got to be able to adapt. Awesome. Well, Tyler, I appreciate you sharing some practical advice on how marketers can do better with video and how to leverage uh, their brand to grow their business and wish you all the best with the book. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, yeah, if anybody out there is interested in the book, The Visual Sale, check it out um, or connect with me on LinkedIn if you uh, have any questions or want to chat video. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Tyler. Appreciate it. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS, a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.